Welcome back to the BC Buckets podcast, the official podcast for Briarcliff University Charger basketball. This is Matt Gall here with head coach Mark Figuera. Coach, how was your Thanksgiving? Simple, basic, but good. How about Matt? Kind of the same, kind of low key, not a big gathering. A uh, couple very close relatives who we knew had been taking precautions. So it was all right, but you know, not typical, but still found ways to relax. I know you were going to smoke a turkey. How'd that turn out for you? Well, I, I've been on record many times saying how overrated Thanksgiving turkey is, right. but it, it turned out really, really well. So good. by the standards of a turkey, it was really, really good. On, this, on the scale of best things I've smoked, it, it's not even in the conversation. Yeah. But it was good. We, we enjoyed it. We had a, a deep-fried turkey. And I, I think that's still the best way to prepare one. But, it's, you know, turkey. Um, I disagree with you. I think it's inferior to smoking, but it is good. It's better than traditional in the oven, in my opinion. Yeah, well, turkey can only be so good. You know what I mean? There's a ceiling on how good a turkey can be. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, right. I mean, we eat it because we have to out of tradition, but there's a lot of better other things. I wish, you know, I wish the pilgrims would have found a big fat cow or something and grilled up some ribeye like that. But unfortunately, that's not how it went down. Well, let's get into uh, last week and talk some basketball. Uh, we had one game last week, and then we've got a couple games here at home coming up this week after a few games on the road. So uh, let's start by talking about last week, though. On last Tuesday, you guys went up to Sioux Center and played Dort. Uh, tough road game. Like we talked about, that's always a tough place to play on the road. But, um, you know, this, this game was close for a little while up at, at first, and then Dort kind of started to impose their will a little bit. Uh, and they pulled away for an 86 to, to 69 win there. Uh, a couple things that stuck out to me, it was tough getting rebounds in that game. Um, as I watched, that was frustrating, but it was just tough to hit shots. They're always a good defensive team, um, and they, they made it difficult on our offense. But what did you see in that game, and what kind of result or what kind of led to that outcome? Well, I think it's a couple things. Um, you know, one, we just, for whatever reason, we really struggled to start the game offensively. I think we went seven or eight consecutive possessions without a score. Um, you know, fortunately, I, I really thought we guarded them really well for a good chunk of the first half. We were only down 5 nothing after that um, and then started to make some shots, um, you know, got a couple transition buckets. And, you know, at halftime down seven, you know, part of me was thinking like, oh, my man, we're lucky it's not 15-18 right now. We got a shot here. Um, we need to tweak a couple things. You know, and part of me was frustrated because I also felt like, you know, there's a couple different ways we could have been ahead at halftime. Uh, you know, and then the second half, whatever reason, we, we did not come out that strong, and, and Dork kind of punched us in the mouth with some offensive rebounds with some transition points. And, you know, that, that part was frustrating because that, that was something we really um, hit on the couple days leading up to that game was, was just those two things. Dort's really good when they can get easy transition points, as is everybody in basketball. Um, but it's something they are good at, and, and Dort's a big physical team that really offensive rebound. And I thought we put ourselves in a tough spot because offensively, we did a lot of better things the second half. We shot the ball better, but everything just kind of flowed a little more smooth. Um, but it's like after their initial punch, we just really couldn't get it past that 10, 12, 13 point mark the entire second half, um, you know, and, and just couldn't overcome that. And that's, you know, there's a lesson in that, um, in that you got to be ready to start the second half. You got to, I mean, honestly, you got to be ready to start the game too. And that's, you know, if you take those 10 minutes, the first five of the half, first five of the second half, we really lost it there. And that's something that, that we need to improve on. Well, the good news is, you know, after over a month away from the Newman Flanagan Center, uh, you guys get to come home this week for a couple of games, a couple of conference games. Um, and I think, you know, first game of the year, right? October 24th. So we're going to be looking at well over a month. How does it feel to finally get back? Yeah. Well, it's, it's nice to know that over the next 10 days, I don't have to sit in the bus again. Um, <laughs> right. You know, you get, you get a little sick of that. And, um, you know, we didn't have any crazy long trips. And, 
in that run, you know, Mount Marty and Dort and Dakota Wesleyan and, and even Bellevue for that weekend. Those are pretty easy trips. But, you know, it is nice to be at home. And even in the COVID season with, with limited fans and all that, it's going to be nice to play in front of the home crowd and, and in the home gym and, and, and all that stuff and to, you know, kind of kick it back off with a rivalry game against Northwestern. You know, what more can you ask for? That game will be Wednesday, December 2nd. Um, women will play at six, men will play at eight, as usual. You know, Northwestern's two and two. I was looking up what they've done uh, before we started recording this. They're two and two, but both losses, I think, were like one possession losses to Morningside and Concordia. Um, so they're real close to being four and all. They're one of those teams that every year, you know, you expect to be towards the top of the conference. So while the early conference record might be a little bit deceiving here, you know, they're going to they're gonna bring uh, – all you can handle probably. Well, I think you got to start with their, with their two returning guards, you know, in, in Trent Hillbrands and Jay Small. Those guys are both returning, I believe, multi-time, all deep players, both of them capable of putting up 30 on any given night. Um, and they have a couple other guards who can shoot the ball. They've got a couple tough defenders on the perimeter. And, and what they've added in this year is a, a freshman big kid who's actually their leading scorer, averaging just under 20 a game at an unbelievably efficient pace. And uh, I know he's a guy that our guest today is familiar with um, from the high school ranks, but uh, you know, Alex Van Callsbeek, that's a name that I feel like there's been one of those guys Northwestern since I've been at Briar Cliff. And he's the third one um, of a group of brothers, but he's really good. He's really physical. He finishes around the basket really well. And so, you know, I, I think a couple of things. One, we, we have to make post catches difficult whether that's from front in the post, double team in the post, whatever it is. You know, we have a, a lot of different things we can do there. Um, there's been times I think we've done a really good job of that year. There's been other times, you know, last Tuesday against Dort, for example, we didn't do as good of a job as we wanted. Um, and then you can't get so focused on a good big guy, and he is really good, that you forget about some of their guards and you give open threes or you give up open driving lanes because I think that's what will really kill you. You just sit there and you focus so much, okay, post-touch, post-touch, post-touch. Then all of a sudden something else is going on and you got a guy cutting to the basket for a layup or you got a kick out for an open three. Um, and so, you know, we're just going to have to be really locked in. We'll, we'll start putting some game plan stuff in tomorrow. And I know, you know, Coach Forbes has a couple ideas already that he's, he's kind of mentioned to me. Um, but it, it's going to take a 40-minute defensive effort to, to have a chance to win this one, no doubt about it. Well, on Saturday, Concordia comes to town, and they, you know, they a hot start this year. Won three, you know, in the G Pack, pretty big wins over Dort and Midland, and then, like I said, they had the one possession win over uh, Northwestern. But if, after three conference games, there's no better place to be than three and zero, I guess. So they're going to be tough. Concordia has always been one of those teams, whether they're up or down, just seems like they give us problems no matter what's going on in their season. So I don't know that the record has ever really mattered, but. Um, you know, obviously they're off to a hot start. They're up on top of the conference. So what kind of style are they going to bring? You know, Matt, it's funny because this is only the second time we've had this this year where we had a true GPAC week with a, a Wednesday, Saturday. You know, Saturday game is always a little tougher to talk about because right now our focus is all on Northwestern. Um, I have had a chance to watch Concordia play, though. They had played Dort uh, directly before we did. Um, and they're – you can tell on film, and this some, it's going to sound funny. Sometimes you can just tell. I think they're really together as a team. I, I think they play with a lot of trust on the floor. They move the ball well, and they really get after you defensively. They're physical, they're aggressive. Um, you know, and going back to last year, I, I saw some. They've won ten or eleven straight GPAC games. You know, they went on that run through the conference tournament last year to qualify for the national tournament. They have a lot of those guys back, so I, I think they have a lot of confidence. Uh, they have multiple guys who can beat you. They're pretty balanced. Um, and they can do it in a, in a variety of ways. They can shoot the three. They can get it inside. Uh, so they're going to present some issues. Um, in terms of game plan, I, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out Thursday and Friday. But, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely – it's a big week. Um, two really good teams. And like you said, Matt, I think Concordia won that game by two or three um, here a couple weeks ago. And, and this uh, – it's a tough week. But it's also a great opportunity for us to get back on track and, and – you know, start playing with a little more consistency because I think that's far and away the number one thing we need right now is is consistency both within games but also our day-to-day -day practice and preparation. 
In case anyone's wondering, because I'm wondering, you know, with you guys being back home, what is the policy as you understand in terms of uh, spectators in the stands? Are they going to be allowed a certain number of tickets being sold, something like that? Yeah, so for home games, um, actually tickets for Wednesday's game just went on sale here um, in the last 15 minutes. Uh, they went on sale at noon today, Sunday. Um, we are at 25%. Um, and so it's, it's not a huge number. Uh, we, we try to give a little bit of a priority to players, families, and parents to make sure they have the opportunity to get in and then they go on sale to the public. Um, you know, the silver lining to 25% of the Flanagan Center is that 25% can still make the place pretty loud. Um, so, you know, we're hoping we can give them something to be loud about on Wednesday night, but that's, uh, that is a benefit of the Flanagan center. Um, so it's, if you haven't had got your tickets already, whenever this is released, I would urge you to try to do it ASAP if there's any left. Well, like we've mentioned, those games can be caught online too. So if you can't make it to the gym, make sure you get on the website and, uh, check it out there. So again, quick reminders, Wednesday, December 2nd at home against Northwestern, women at six, men at eight, and then Saturday, December 5th, at home against Concordia, women at two, men at four. Well, with that, you know, talking about Northwestern, that is a, a good segue to this week's guest. Uh, and I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay Wright, but is this the third time you've been on the podcast now? Just the second. It's my second appearance. You know, we yeah, talk about three timer. So it feels like you've been on every week, though, as much as we talk about it. And, and, and here's the thing, and it's not your fault, Jay, but you're, nothing's going to top your first appearance because you brought Sneaky's ribs, Sneaky's wings, and Sneaky's chicken with you. And in, in the in the COVID Zoom era of podcasting, it's not possible. <laughs> I was kind of I was kind of hoping maybe I was going to get a delivery in the office here today, though. I, I didn't even think of that. What I was actually hoping for is I want that third invite to be on the podcast. So you'll have to invite me back again sometime when I can bring the food with. So I was really just playing that so I could get on a third time. It's, it's genius. <laughs> if, there, if there's any listeners who don't know who you are, uh, I, better, I better give you a proper introduction here. I'm sure they're few and far between. But, uh, former Northwestern Red Raider. Head coach, Villanova basketball. basketball. <laughs> former player at uh, Northwestern Red Raiders. Former Briarcliff assistant coach with uh, head coach Todd Berry, and now the current head coach for the Bishop Heelan High School girls basketball team. And like, like uh, Coach said, also splitting double duty as head coach for the Villanova Wildcats. So we appreciate you making some time here to, to join us and talk a little hoops. Hey, so I got a, you know, I think I got like a famous name. So the other day we're talking at practice. And I told the girls, like, we're talking about Villanova. We're, we're talking about, like, working on jump stops and just basic offense and how Villanova, their offense is like, Jay Wright doesn't teach a ton of stuff. It's just he teaches you got to jump stop. You got to do a couple simple things. And so then we stopped, like, do you guys know who coaches Villanova? And not one single girl had a clue that Jay Wright coached <laughs> Villanova. Not one. So, you know, you think you got, like, a famous name. It's, it's lost on the younger generation. So, oh, well, we'll keep educating them. Do you ever get some trash talk sent to you uh, on Twitter from a random at that was misdirected to the wrong Jay Wright? I, I have not. Um, probably the best one we did is uh, there's a Zach Clark, who's the athletic director at uh, Central Decatur, way south central Iowa. And he and I have gone back and forth on Twitter kind of through the coaching ranks and know each other. And he's like, my mom is a huge Villanova fan. Because you got to send her a message. So I changed my avatar. I have a signed ball from Jay Wright. And I got a picture with Jay Wright from um, the Villanova Creighton game a few years ago. So I made that like my background. So Jay Wright's in it. So I said, hey, heard you're a big Villanova fan, you know, um, you know, happy birthday, whatever it was. And she bought a hook, line, and sinker. Um, so it was awesome. He, he kind of set me up. He said, hey, send this to my mom. And changing the avatar and everything else, that just made it, that made it perfect. So I have – pulled that trick a time or two but um no i i have not the biggest one and maybe i've talked about this before but um if i have stopped me but um at the 2007 final four i got the letter that i was supposed to go sign autographs at the nabc convention at the youth rally thing and a limo was going to come pick me up the whole nine yards and i'm like i'm not that jay right like when i checked in the first day they're like well there's two jay rights you better not impersonate the other jay right 
And I said, well, he better not impersonate me. And the lady behind the desk saw no humor in that whatsoever. She's like, you're clearly not BJ Wright. I'm like, well, I actually am. But, um, but we got in like the best motel that year. And clearly they had screwed up because as you know, coach Figuera, the, the NAIA coaches at the final four usually are like, you know, 25 minutes out of town in some, you know, smaller motel, something like that. They're never downtown in the main motel. And we were in the main motel and coach Barry was like, this is crazy. I don't know why we're down here. Well, it turns out we were down there because they thought I was that Jay Wright. So I'm getting all these letters to go sign autographs. I got calls for interviews. Coach Schultz pretty soon was like the um, – kind of like my press secretary. Need like take the calls in the room and like run interference. Well, I don't think you want that Jay Wright. Of course, Coach Barry would be like, yeah, I can get him on. He's going to talk about some small college in Sioux City. And they're like, that's not what we want. Um, so I, I never – I don't know if Coach Jay Wright from Villanova ever made it to the 2007 – autograph signing or if he got in trouble from the NABC but um yeah that's my that's probably my best Jay Wright story is getting the um, royal treatment and the best final four so I went back with coach Barry again a couple years later and they made sure to put me on the list like number one for the rooming assignments hoping that they would get the good motel again and we were stuck way out west in Indianapolis and um it didn't work the second time around but yeah so that's the closest I've been to being able to impersonate the Jay Wright right that's a fantastic. That's story. awesome. That, Co- Coach Schultz at the Final Four is is a sight to behold, and you throw something like that in, I mean that that's unbelievable. Yeah, Co- Coach Schultz at the Final Four is awesome. Um, the other one, one of my favorites, and I'm Coach Schultz. Hopefully, doesn't listen because he thinks I throw him under the bus all the time. He, he absolutely <laughs> listens to this, um, and and I throw him under the bus all the time too. <laughs> we were it was the final four in Indianapolis in 2010 was during Lent so it's it's Friday it's good Friday and he comes down for breakfast and he had a heaping mound of like um biscuits and gravy he's got sausage and like coach Barry and coach Nelson were both like well I guess he, you know he's on vacation he's got a dispensation something like that like okay it is about two hours later that coach Schultz realizes oh, shoot, it was Lent, and I was just eating all this meat for breakfast. I think he actually called home and apologized to his wife. and Like, it was like, like well, I guess he just doesn't care. It's Good Friday. He's going to knock this out. So, but we decided if you're the Final Four, it's maybe just an exemption. You can go ahead and eat what you want. We'll call it the well, Final I, Four exemption. We're good. I, I've been around Coach Schultz in Lent before, and he's a little liberal with his dispensation. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not Catholic, so I don't know all the rules. Right, uh, but I, I I've questioned him, and and he's always got some kind of response for me, and he he talks educated enough that I just have to buy it. But uh, one year at the national tournament, it might have been eight nine years ago now, it was it was same thing. It was a Friday in Lent, and we were playing a game that night, and Coach Schultz stood up and and just let all the Catholics know they could get whatever they wanted because we had a game that day, and and he was given a dispensation, so. That, that kind of – that sparks a thought in my mind, Jay, with being part of the Sneaky's Chicken family. Has Sneaky's ever made a, you know, a, an effort to lobby the Pope that chicken can be one of those meats that's exempt from Lenten sacrifice? Yeah, I don't think they've ever made a direct appeal to the, uh, to the Pope. Um, I do know there is fish every Friday. Um, usually there's clam chowder, some soup. You always got some salads and sides. So um, I love the shameless plug opportunity right here. Um, so appreciate that. But yeah, there's always, there's always fish. Um, I like the fish nuggets with um, a hot wing sauce. You dip the fish nuggets in the hot wing sauce. That's how I like to eat them. Um, Chris Bork, who's the principal of Bishop Healing, he also came up with um, buffalo shrimp. So they can cook your shrimp in buffalo sauce, um, which is also delicious. Um, so there's options at Sneaky's on even during Lent. It, it doesn't have to be chicken. So, which by the way, people think I eat a lot of chicken. I actually don't eat chicken that much at Sneaky's. I love their burgers. Um, the wings are great. Um, they have some other sandwiches that are really, really good. My in-laws swear by the tenderloin sandwich. So it's not just chicken. So get all your, all your nutritional needs can be met at Sneaky's Chicken. That's I'm going right. to tell you right now. At least for one episode, Sneaky's just became a, a podcast sponsor. <laughs> An unbelievable amount of free advertising right there. <laughs> well, it's a food show. I, this is really a food podcast. It gets interrupted by basketball talk once in a while. So I just wanted to contribute my little bit to that. That is true. So I guess on that topic, uh, Coach Wright, um, I know that you agree with me on, on my Thanksgiving takes. 
So what, what, what does the right family do for Thanksgiving? Are you guys still traditional and you just eat it or what do you do? So we've always been traditional that you just, you have the turkey, you do the normal, you know, the normal dinner. But this year with it being different, um, you know, we just did the, usually with, instead of the aunts and uncles, cousins and everybody all together, um, we just did my, you know, kind of my mom and dad and my brother and I and our families. Um, we did steak this year and burgers on the grill. And I, I thought it was twice the Thanksgiving dinner of a turkey dinner. Because again, turkey is really not all that great. Um, so I, I loved it. And then we went to my wife's side at, at that evening and did have some turkey there. Um, so I did get a little bit of turkey. Um, but I don't understand this obligation that we have. Like you have to have turkey on Thanksgiving. And I've never understood that. I'm like, Thanksgiving's about being with family and all that. It's like, you don't have to have turkey. So why do we all eat something that we don't really like? You know, my kids don't like turkey. I'm like, well, no, no kid likes turkey. So we're going to be making hot dogs and burgers anyway for them. Let's just make them for us. So we had steaks this year. Um, it is a tradition I hope to continue. Yeah, well, I, I talked to my brother on, uh, on Thanksgiving, my younger brother. I think his exact quote was, I've never in my life had a good turkey. So you have with, medium, the, like you have turkey that's bearable, right? Like it was okay. I had turkey. Yeah. It was okay. And you also, turkey as a leftover is not great. Other things as leftovers are tremendous because you're always going to have leftovers. Does anybody really enjoy the turkey sandwich on Saturday after Thanksgiving? I, I'm not I a mean, fan. If I'm loaded up honest, with some barbecue or something, barbecue. Or, I, I like that. I like that leftover sandwich more than I like the actual, you know, fresh out of the oven or, you know, in my case, off the smoker. I like the sandwich for maybe two. But after that, you know, and, and this year it was just my wife and I. So we didn't, we didn't go overboard with anything. Um, and I just made the turkey. My wife did the rest. But she made mashed potatoes, gravy, and, you know, some of the traditional stuff. And we, we polished off the potatoes last night. And I told her I'm probably done for the year with mashed potatoes. There's another hot take. I'm not a mashed potato eater. I'm going to jump in here. We had a listener question. I was going to do this later. But since the timing's so good now, Corey Hobbs had sent in a question. How, how long do you make your Thanksgiving leftovers last? And what's the best way to eat them? What's his question? So since we're already talking about it, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but we're, we're kind of already touching. Well, um, you know, like I said, I like a turkey sandwich. And I think officially, you know, they, whoever they is, tell you it's only actually good for a few days after you cook it. And so, you know, I, I, I smoked a fairly good-sized turkey. And so we've already froze a lot of it. And I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll eat it with some barbecue sauce or something like that um, when, we, when we take it back out. But, you know, it's just not something I enjoy. So I'm not going to make 10 pounds of mashed potatoes and a huge pot of green bean casserole or anything like that because we're probably going to end up throwing it away. I, I think you got, like, through the thanks, into the Thanksgiving break, right? You have Thanksgiving on Thursday. You yes. got through Sunday to finish off the leftovers. And there's still stuff sitting around after that. You're not going to eat it. It's just taking up space in the fridge. Um, we're notorious for that in my household. Like, oh, we're going to take this home with us from the restaurant and we'll save it for later. And like a week later, I'm just taking it out to the trash. Like nobody had any intention of eating this later. Um, I don't know what we, I mean, for us, sometimes leftovers are just taking up space in the fridge. So I, you give it three days, you know, Thursday through Sunday. That's it. Let's get rid of it. Time to move on. That, that's like a... <laughs> A life rule added by added by Jay Wright today. <laughs> My most memorable Thanksgiving, I think, I don't know, I was probably fourth or fifth grade, but we went down to Kansas City to uh, have Thanksgiving with my aunt and uncle and my cousins who live down there. And a couple of my cousins came down with like the flu or something, got sick as heck. So we, we kind of canceled dinner that night. And so we ended up at our hotel, which is right across the street from a gas station. And so our Thanksgiving meal was like, a bag of tortilla chips with some of that uh, Tostino or Tostitos, whatever brand it is, uh, cheese dip, mm. little rotisserie taquitos that they make in the little gas station oven there. I mean, basically, we could have whatever we want. Rice Krispie bar, alligator, whatever you can find in a convenience store. But that was probably the uh, least fancy Thanksgiving meal that I've ever had. Sounds good, though. It was good. It was good. It's, yeah. mem it's memorable. So... Mm -hmm. 
And where do you guys stand on like the Christmas dinner? I don't want to jump ahead, but like, do you guys have to do the big, huge Christmas dinner? And I bring that up because in my family, um, years ago, my grand Zerker, my mom's mom, always had to have the big Christmas Eve dinner. Like we always had to have ham, turkey, the whole bit, right? And then we'd have to have it on real plates and it took forever to clean the plates. And then we wanted to open presents. It was like this, you know, the dinner was the huge thing. Well, finally, they convinced my grandma to get pizza. I think we got like Casey's Pizzas. You know, paper plates, we chowed them down. Everybody was happier. There was less cleanup, less preparation. And it was, so then for years after that, we just do pizza on Christmas Eve. So I'm curious, like, do you guys traditionally do the big dinner at Christmas or Christmas Eve? Um, I feel like so many people spend so much time cooking that they don't actually enjoy Christmas and being around the grandkids or being around their family. Like, they're so busy cooking, get that done. And then you eat and you're done in like 10 minutes and it's a disaster, you got to clean up. Why not just enjoy being around each other, order a pizza? But I'm probably way out on a limb on this one. No, I, I actually agree with you. And, you know, for a long time um, at my mom's house, Christmas Eve was prime rib, twice baked potatoes, you know, whatever else we were going to have. And it's the same thing you were saying. It takes forever to clean up. And I can't say I always helped all that much in the cleanup process. but I still uh, don't. And, and, and don't get me wrong. It's good. I love a good prime rib. But, um, you know, we, we've switched that up a little bit here over the years and, and made some things that are a little bit easier. Haven't done pizza yet, but I'm never opposed to that. Um, my wife's family, I think, I think they do ham, which, you know, ham falls into the turkey category for me. Um, unless it's smoked, it's just not that good. Um, so I don't get excited about Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Easter dinner, any of them. Yeah, give we, me a steak. Give me some pizza. I'm all good. We do, the, we do the prime rib thing, but we've always, I mean, Christmas Eve has always been the holiday for us. We've always, that's the big day. As far as I'm concerned, Christmas Day, it's all over. By noon, it's all over. So we usually do like soup and sandwiches on Christmas Day. We've never done Christmas evening dinner because by then it's really over. Like we got to work tomorrow, probably. Um, presents are already done. Excitement's done. It's just time to get back to real life. But we've always done Christmas Eve, prime rib, that sort of thing. I think maybe the the holiday that at least my wife and I have the longest tradition is, is New Year's Eve. And that that's assuming, you know, we don't have a game or, you know, whatever. It just, some, it just falls that way. Sometimes we do. Uh, but we usually make steak and legs on New Year's Eve. And that's, I mean, that's a tradition that I, I think everybody can get on board with right there. I can support that one. That's a, that's a good call. Yeah, Jim. smoked crab legs. Is where it's at, guys. Ooh. If you've never dabbled into the smoking crab legs, I strongly recommend it. Have you thrown those on the Traeger? As he walks away. I have. I did it last year. Um, it's, it's, you know, you just get a little smokiness to it. That's all you're getting. That's the only real difference. Um, yeah. It's still a lot of work to eat them. Um, I have to do double the work because my wife won't crack open her own crab legs. So I, I do double work. <laughs> for, uh, you know, for the crab legs, but worth it still. So Jay, I had a note here to ask you about this because on Twitter <laughs> days ago, um, I responded to something you put on Twitter. Uh, I think somebody had referenced Brandon Wager in some record book or something. And you commented on how you took a charge like in a, in a uh, alumna or a staff basketball game or so. I don't even remember what it was, but so that got me thinking about like obscure sport claims to fame. Uh, interactions and and uh, intersections you've had with with uh, people who've gone above and beyond. But uh, tell us about the charge. And are there any other? Do you guys have any other like random claims to fame? And I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples of mine. So my freshman year of high school at Spalding Catholic, Jared Holman. I don't know if you remember that dude. He went to Remsen St. Mary's. Uh, big guy. Ended up going to Iowa State. Had a pretty good career there. Anyway, in garbage time, I get put in as a freshman to, to guard him, of course. And we're probably losing by 30 or 40 points. But um, in my two minutes, I think I, rec I think I recorded two fouls, actually, on him in that two minutes that I was in the game. Why he was in the game still at that point, I have no idea. But that's one. But I think the most important, and it's kind of a Briarcliff um, connection here, same year, my freshman year, we're playing Ellsworth up in Minnesota. Kurt Schilling is also a freshman. And this was a showdown that – Good. All regional newspapers. It's like Gall versus Schilling. Uh, you know, this is going to be big time. 
And of course, you know, he starts the game uh, and I come in with about two minutes left um, once it's garbage. But uh, we ended up winning. So I'm one and oh in my lifetime against Kurt Schilling. I think I had four points all on free throws at the end of the game. He probably had 22. Um, but those are, those are my two main uh, claims to fame. You guys have any- On the Kurt Schilling topic, uh, you know, Kurt and I played against each other. He's a couple years younger than me. He was a stud at Northwestern. Was. And uh, I was strongly warned uh, that I was going to get a flagrant foul if I came through a Kurt Schilling screen like I did again. He, uh, <laughs> he may have taken a pretty good forearm to the chest coming through a screen. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I, I'm just impressed you got the W. That's that's what really matters, Matt. Um, so, in reference to this, I got. I mean, it gets way better. The older I get, the story gets way better, and I'm you know way tougher than I was then. Um, but basically, he comes down, and I just don't think I could get away in time. And for the record, I want to say we used to play a faculty versus staff game every year, or a faculty versus student game every year. So every year, like the intramural basketball team would play. It was never anybody that was on the basketball team. They couldn't play. Had to be non-basketball players. But Brandon Wagersher, they had like 10 kids that went on to play college football out of that class. So they were super athletic and fast. And a couple of guys that played at Morningside that went to the national championship game. I mean, they were super – I mean, they were really athletic. Well, he comes flying down the floor one time, and I just don't think I was fast enough to get out of the way. I like to think I wanted to, you know – I mean, he runs me over like just right into my chest. And I go down and like can't breathe. But by golly, I'm not going to let anybody see that I am – pain so I get up and I run back down the other end on offense and then come back down the other end on defense again in the old pit um the the you go out the doors right into the I guess it's not really a lobby but you go out the doors to where the concession stand was then down that hallway was like a teacher's lounge referee room whatever so I go down on offense I just come back on defense go right out the door and go right down to that teacher's lounge and lay down on a couch Literally, like, I was in so much pain. I couldn't breathe. I didn't stop and put a sub in anything. I just went right out the door, went right down. About five, ten minutes later, I think Foster and some other guys were like, are you okay? I'm like, I am not okay. I am having trouble breathing. It was not a glory moment, but I want to be very clear. I did take a charge. Um, it was totally worth it to get that call. So um, the only other one I can think of that was, you know, this one kind of sticks ahead because this guy had a really long NBA career. I was playing in the Dr. Pepper All-Star Game, which used to be a, a big deal in Iowa in the summer if you were selected to the Dr. Pepper All-Star Game, which now just the uh, Iowa Basketball Coaches Association does an All-Star Game. It's not quite as big a deal as it used to be. Um, but I'm playing in that game, and I think I have this breakaway layup. So, I, I mean, I'm all alone. I don't think anybody's around. I just go up to shoot it, and all of a sudden the ball goes flying to the other end of the Unidome. I mean, it just gets swatted. And I look up, and Ryan Bowen is standing right behind me. And I have no idea where Ryan Bowen had come from. Um, and really, he was a, you know, he's from Fort Madison, but really knew much about him on the western side of the state. I'm like, this guy's going to Iowa. He watched that shot from there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think that dude can play at Iowa. Like, it was the most amazing thing because he had to have tracked me down. I mean, no idea where it came from. So, Ryan Bowen, um, <laughs> I never had a shot block quite that emphatically as that one. Um, and it was good to see him playing in the NBA because now I don't feel quite as bad about him blocking my shot in a high school all-star game. So, Right. Yeah, I don't have The other closest one is the fact that I've met Jay Wright. That's probably my third close encounter <laughs> with uh, fame. So, well, I did. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on here, but I did when my wife and I were in Chicago one year just killing some time. We were walking down Michigan Avenue and uh, LeBron James walked right by us on the sidewalk. We're walking south on Michigan Avenue. They're walking north. I think they were in town uh, for the playoffs that year against the Bulls. And uh, I had even said to my wife, like, wouldn't it be crazy if we ran into somebody like LeBron James while we're out and about? Well, sure enough, basically shoulder to shoulder and I'm fairly tall. And so we, we basically make eye contact. He gives me a little head nod. I just give him a head nod. Because in the moment, I didn't quite understand what I was, what I was seeing. We walked right by those guys. And so, uh, of course, we turn around. At once, once the shot kind of uh, settles in, get my bearings again. So we turn around. Of course, we got to follow them. So we follow them into Nike Town. They went into Nike Town. And by then, a, a little bit of a crazy Great store, by the way. Oh, awesome store. So they, we walk in, I don't know, five seconds after them, and they're totally gone. We can't find them. But by then, a crowd of people had kind of figured out what was going on, too. So eventually, we found him upstairs, like on the third floor, looking at shoes. There's a crowd of people just watching him 
look at shoes, which I presume he just picks the ones off the shelf that he wants and just throws them in a bag and walks out of there. You know, I thought of this, and I've told this story on the podcast before, but, you know, Jay was talking about some Final Four trips he had. I witnessed Nick Nelson meet Tom Izzo, who's one of his idols, and he was so excited and so worked up to, to say hi to him and shake his hand. And Coach Izzo, he, he does. He was really nice about it. He shakes his hand. He looks at, at Nick and says, it's not that big a deal, man. But that, that's really not my story, but it is because I was sitting right there. And, and Nick debates that. But I've got, I've got Ron Schultz backing me up. And, and his honesty and integrity is undeniable. Well, Jay, ask, you know, how's the season going? This is your first year uh, coaching the Healing Girls. It's early in the season. I, I know that. But uh, how's the season going so far? You know, um, several things. So far, you know, it's hard to tell. We played one game. Uh, we got beat by a really good Unity Christian team. So um, not anything to mope and hang our heads about. Um, but we'll find out a lot this month. We got six games this month. So we'll find out a little bit more. But um, I, it's been a really great group of girls. Um, you know, I've never really coached girls before other than three weeks of junior high track. Uh, when I was at Southampton, there was um, – uh, maternity leave situation. So I did three weeks of junior high girls track in exchange for a day off to attend the state track meet later that uh, spring. Um, and that, that's a whole different experience, junior high girls track. But um, so I hadn't had much experience coaching girls and it has been, um, it has been really, really awesome to be honest with you. Um, they, they are just willing to listen, do what you ask them to do. Um, sometimes you're coaching boys and they think, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me. I'm going to keep doing it my way. Girls, it's really the opposite. If they can't do something, it's just because they physically can't at that point. They will try to do what you tell them every time. And you can tell them like one time and it kind of clicks. Whereas boys, it feels like, man, four years of coaching the same kid and you're still telling them the same thing and that repetition. And um, so it's been really, really good. Um, I've really enjoyed um, the girls on the team. I got great coaches I coach with. Um, so it's been good so far. We're making progress. I, I can see it. Just hope you see the results on the court coming up here. Uh, we got East this week. Um, you know, Briarcliff Northwestern's a big rivalry game, but East Healing, man, that's, that's big time in the city of Sioux City. So um, a lot to look forward to. We play them Thursday night here coming up this week. So um, that'll be exciting and fun. And like I said, you, you love those rivalry games. So it's been good so far. Um, been a great experience as Coach Savagara knows, and I'm curious what he would have to say to this question too. But moving over that 18 inches on the bench from suggestion to decision is huge. And, and Coach Foster and I have talked about this. And you know, what is the biggest difference between being an assistant coach and head coach? And I think it is. In like I said, you're thinking about it all the time, as opposed to when you're the assistant, you can kind of show up to work, do your work, you kind of go home, you can kind of forget about it and do whatever. And as a head coach, you're constantly thinking about, well, what do I got to do at practice tomorrow? And you have to handle all the other stuff too, right? As the assistant, some of the off-the-court stuff, somebody's grades, whatever you can – well, that's the head coach's deal. That becomes your deal. You know, you're the one that's got to make those decisions. And, well, how do we want to do this? If, you know, somebody didn't do this at practice, how are we going to handle this situation? And um, it's really a big change. So, I, I guess I would ask Coach Figuera this question too. What, uh, what was the biggest transition from assistant coach to head coach, from suggestion to decision? Um, how was that transition for you? Yeah, I think you hit it, Jay. You know, it's, it's, it's just how much you care about it and how much time you think about it, how many nights you, you lay awake in bed thinking about, should I have done this? Could we do this? You know, honestly, I think for me, and, and it, I think it's different a little bit at the college level because even as an assistant, you know, I was still full-time all day, every day, yep. basketball. And I think it's, it's the non-basketball stuff that, that probably not even shocked me but surprised me you know, the budget stuff you have to, to, to handle and player discipline and, you know, fundraising and randomly getting a call about this or that. And, and I, I, think, I think one of the biggest things was I, I did less basketball work that first year as a head coach than I ever had as an assistant. And I, I did a lot more other work, administrative things or discipline things or whatever it may be. Um, you know, so I, I think that would probably be it for me, you know, and on the, on the, on the bright side, I don't have to drive the bus anymore. So that, that was a huge, um, huge boost for me. Yeah. I, I'm a hundred percent with you though. It's like fundraising and budgets and, you know, you're going to order coaches gear, but how much do you want to get cool stuff, but you can't spend too much. I mean, all these things that you in the past, like, Oh, come on, Foster, get us cooler stuff. I'm like, Oh, wait a second. That's expensive. We don't need the cool stuff. I mean, it's just, but you spend so much time on that stuff, you know, like, 
you know, down to, well, what are we wearing on road trips? And I mean, it's, you know, all that little stuff. And it takes up so much time that you, like you said, you don't do the X's and O's that you want to because you're busy dealing with all the other stuff. So yeah. it pays yeah, to have and good I, assistance. And I get great assistance that can handle a lot of that. So um, that's been super beneficial on my end. Yep. And I, I would say too, you know, the other thing is when, when you're an assistant coach making a, a session or, you know, whatever, a lot of times I think it's easy to think in the, in the short term here and now, but something that, you know, I was lucky because, because Nick Nelson was so good at this, you know, so I, I learned from him, you have to think picture long-term and, and how a decision today can potentially impact good, bad, the program two, three, four years down the road. And, you know, like I said, I was fortunate that Nick was so good with that. So I got to see that firsthand for six years. Um, but I, I think that's something he definitely implemented into me. Yeah. I was lucky. coach Barry was the same way. I mean, you know, he, he could sort through all what was good, what was bad, um, I still argue with Coach Barry in my head when I'm debating something. He's the voice in my head that I am arguing with. Or not arguing, but I'm like, you know, he's the – my wife's always like, who are you talking to? I'm like, well, I'm actually talking to Coach Barry in my brain because his lessons whatever. But I think it's the same thing. How is this going to impact, you know, what's the decision for this kid? But how does that impact the 12 kids in the locker room besides them? How is that going to impact the program long term? And he was really good at sorting through that. So, so I still debate with him on that in my head. So. What's, what, what, what's your best one or two Coach Barry stories? And, and for listeners who don't know, Coach Barry was a head coach at Briarcliff from 04 to 11, um, was a head coach at Northwestern for, I think, the entire decade of the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. So Jay played for him and then coached with him at Briarcliff. That, that's who Coach Barry is. Uh, you know, best Coach Barry stories. I, boy, that's a tough one. Um, I, you know, I know one that's great, and we've talked about this, I think, the last time, is the fact that he could not pronounce names correctly at all. And there's times you'd have no idea who you were guarding. Um, Teixeira from Hastings was dyslexia for four years. I got that dyslexia guy. There's a Ryan Bojanski from Midland that was just known as Bojangles for four years. Um, you know, and then we played Midland the one year, and they started a Simmons, a Samson, a Solomon, and a, or a Selk, I think. They started four guys with the last name that was started with the letter S. And then a Pekorski. He knew Pekorski. But if you guard one of the other four, you had no idea who you were guarding. Because you're on Simmons. I mean, Simons. I mean, and you had, I mean, all the S names. So when I came to Briar Cliff, we went with uh, numbers on Scott Report. You're going to guard number 11. You're going to guard number 23. We went totally away from names because we struggled names. And it was a really big deal, too, because you got recruiting or something. And he might get the name pronounced wrong of the kid you're recruiting. Like you had to be like, coach, it's whatever name to make sure it was right. So, but he was also brilliant. I saw him do this several times. He was brilliant. If somebody could come up and say hi to him and he didn't know who it was, he would ask about three, four questions and figure out who they were while he was talking to them. It was the most brilliant thing I've ever seen done. And then all of a sudden he would ask a specific question about like, you know, some guys talk about, I don't know who this is. He asked him, how's the family doing? Where are the kids at? You know, they're like, oh, this is some dad of a kid we recruited from Newell Fonda. And we go, how's Newell Fonda doing this year? And he was brilliant at that maneuver. So he was great at that. I, um, and then the other thing is, um, I don't know, boy, what other co great Coach Barry stories? Man, um, there's got to be. So let me think on that. I may, I may come up with another one while we're talking here because there's Coach Barry's got some good ones if I just uh, have the time to work through that one. All right, so you've been on both sides of this rivalry, Briarcliff Northwestern. Where's a better place to, to play a basketball game, the Boltman Center or the Flanagan Center? Trick question, because the answer to that was the old gym at Northwestern, which you guys were probably not even – well, Matt, you might have been in there once or four, twice before, maybe at the camp or something, but the old gym at Northwestern, and I think Coach Schultz would back this up, um, it would get heated – I mean, the football players from Northwest would all sit on the stage and it would get heated and um, probably some things that were done that were largely inappropriate, should not have been done. Um, so I, I would argue that, um, you know, that might be the best of the three is uh, the old barn at Northwestern. Um, that said, uh, you know, the Boltman Center is a great facility. I was, you know, I was a sophomore when it opened. Um, so blessed to get to play in there. It was awesome. Um, but in terms of noise, in terms of atmosphere, I feel like the Briarcliff Northwestern games that I played in and coached in at Briarcliff was just, 
I don't know. There was a level up. I, I, I've referenced this game before, but my senior year, we played at Briarcliff. It was the third time we played that year because Westmar had closed at the start of the year. So we ended up playing Briarcliff, Dort, Sioux Falls, all three times just because they all lost that game too. So we ended up scheduling everybody a third time. It was the third time we'd played Briarcliff. And that it's the most electric crowd. It was a double overtime game. Um, I got in right at the end because we had to foul. That was my only role on the team that year was end of the game. You can foul Matt. I think we're kindred spirits on that. I was really good at it. Like I would come back to alumni games. They put me at the end to foul. Um, but it was an electric atmosphere. So you asked some best atmosphere um, for that game. I'm going to actually take the Newman Flanagan center. If I can't take the old barn in Northwestern. I like it. I'm not going to say the corn palace and I, Come on, who would say the Corn Palace had for having been in Briarcliff? It's a unique place. It's interesting, but it's not better than Newman Flanagan. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Any, any podcast, somebody can get a shot in it, Bobby. That's been a good podcast. Keeping the streak alive. All right. Well, you know, I think now's a good time to get into our starting five for the week. And this is a, a really good suggestion that came into us from a listener, uh, Kent Malone, who sent us some good stuff here in the past. And uh, what he wanted to know – is what would be your starting five, and he kept this pretty straightforward, your starting five for best college basketball players of all time. Um, and he didn't get into whether you need to, you know, honor the, the various positions or build a roster based on, you know, the mix of guys on the floor. So I guess I'll leave it to you guys and how you want to interpret that, whether it's best five or, or you know, the best mix of five uh, when taking position into consideration. But I think the way we'll do this, and you guys talked about this a little bit before we started recording here, but uh, let's go ahead and alternate. We'll go one by one, and then you guys can talk through these things, start analyzing them, and maybe start talking how you'd handle these matchups, uh, assuming you're the coaches of the teams that you draft. So as our guest, Jay, we're going to go ahead and, and give you the honors of starting this off. Well, and I'll say too, so a couple of things. I kind of set this up like if I'm playing a game today, how's the game play today? If you look up like best college players of all time, of the top 30, like 22 are centers, right? Because that's how the game was played in 1970. So it's really hard when you say we're going to build a team. I mean, um, I'm going to leave some guys off this list that are in the top five of most college lists, but I kind of went by position thinking if we're playing today, how's it going to work out? Um, so my point guard is a guy that is way ahead of his time. Um, I think he's the greatest college player of all time. Um, I know he doesn't make that top of a lot of lists, but I'm going to put Pete Maravich as my point guard. Um, the dude was flat out of time. If he would play in today's era of space and pace, um, he would, in a three-point arc, he would score a ton of points. But he was kind of a pass-first guy and happy to not shoot a lot. So I think he would be great in this era. He was just 20 minutes ahead of time. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, the pistol. So, and by the way, great movie. Pistol Pete, Birth of a Legend. If you got kids, watch Pistol, The Birth of a Legend. Great movie for kids. I'm going Pete Maravich at my one. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Jay. That's who I had. Um, wasn't sure which way you'd go, but, I mean, the dude averaged 40-plus for his career. With no three-point arc. With, with no three-point line. And, and you look at his career scoring totals, that was when freshmen couldn't play. The dude played three years. Years. It's just absolutely unbelievable. So, yeah, there, no, no debate here. Pistol Pete's my point guard, too. Okay. Am I up first? Do I get to yeah, I get you're, first you're pick here the, again? You're up the whole this time. one's going to be my controversial pick. Because, again, you look through the top players of all time, it's centers, and if it's not a center, it's like a slasher athlete type of guy. If we're playing in today's game, we have to have a shooter. And I was really close to taking Steph Curry at my two. And I didn't go that route. And this, this is going to be my controversial pick. I know this is going to cause some consternation, but it's not about what kind of coach he was, what kind of a guy he is. But in my two guard, I am taking Steve Alford from Indiana. Um, the dude could flat out fill it up. Um, if you were an Iowa fan back in the 80s, you hated Steve Alford because that dude was going to torch you. He came in when the three-point arc first came in, like his junior, senior year. Um, I think he had six or seven threes in the national title game to beat Syracuse. I'm going Steve Alford at my two guard. I'm going to jump in here. If you were an Iowa fan in the early 2000s, you hated the guy too. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I got no argument there. <laughs> you know, that that's incredibly controversial. And I agree with you. And, and I didn't necessarily go that we're playing this game in today's era. Um, so my, my team is a little cross-generational. Um, and my two guard might be a little controversial because I don't think this player would actually be listed on any, you know, top 20, top 30 all-time college players. 
But anytime I'm putting together an all-time basketball team, Michael Jordan's going to be my two guard. And so that's who we've got here today. And, you know, what, what was the line? I, I wasn't even born yet, but what was the line people said back then? The only person who could hold Michael Jordan was Dean Smith. Yep. The only guy that could keep him under 20 points a game was Dean Smith. Right. So, but he, he didn't have a, I mean, his college career was really, really good. But talking just college, Michael Jordan, he might be in the top 30 college players of all time. Like I said, he's, focus he's on the college had, career here. He's definitely had Steve Alford. <laughs> We're not in a college career. We're just talking college. And Michael Jordan wasn't a deep threat shooter at that point in his career. You know, different game nowadays. Yep. You know, just wait till I get to my three guard, Jay. <laughs> well, I cheated on my three guard a little bit. I cheated because, I, I, again, there's a plethora of big guys. So I slid somebody kind of down to a three spot that I think can play the three. Uh, I'm a big Kansas Jayhawk fan. There's no way I could have a starting five and not have Danny Manning on my list. So I got Danny Manning at my three. I might have to play a two-three zone and just be big across the bottom. Uh, but I got Danny Manning, who I think is the greatest Jayhawk of all time. Single-handedly carried the 88 team to a national title win. There was, you know, Danny and the Miracles and nobody with him. So I'm going Danny Manning. So my three guard, I'm going Kevin Durant. And, and, and here's the interesting thing, and I wanted to say this before we started, but I'm going to say it now. It's, it's hard to compare the last 20 years of college players to the, the previous 50 years before that because of the one-and-done era. But if you look at the one-year sample size, Durant averaged like 28-11, unbelievable efficiency. Not a great team, but they advanced. I mean, he was unbelievable. He's going to be my sniper on the wing. There you go, Kevin Durant. Great point about the one and done because on my list is almost all guys from pre-2000 because the one and done era, I didn't pick a lot of those one and done guys. But Kevin Durant almost made my list because I had a huge man crush on Kevin Durant back in the day. That dude was sensational his year at Texas. So that's a good selection. Um, at my four, you talk about people that people hated. There's an entire 30 for 30 about people hating Christian Leitner. But I'd say what if that dude was on my team – I would have loved Christian Leitner. He was a winner. He was – I mean, he had game-winning shots. The Kentucky one, he won his freshman year to send him to the Final Four over UConn. The dude was a winner. Um, you may not like him, but I like winning. So I want Christian Leitner on my team in some fashion. I got Christian Leitner playing my four. Well, it's disappointing because I do too, Jay. I was hoping for a little more lively debate, and, and there's a, a really good chance our five-man's going to be the same. Um. You know, but I, I've got Leitner, too, back-to-back -back national champion, the shot against Kentucky. Um, you know, generally, generally in my experience, the, the players that everybody hates, their teammates usually absolutely love them. So I'm with you 100%, Christian Leitner at the four. And, and in the modern era, you can't tell me that Christian Leitner's not going to evolve his game to be a, a pick-and-pop three-point shooter as well. No, I, at least said they hate him because he won, and I like winning. So I'm going to take him on my team any day. So the five spot, I, you said we might have seen five, but there was a ton of guys at the five spot. I mean, the list of guys I didn't pick is pretty astounding. Um, but I just think if I'm playing a game today, um, big men aren't necessarily, we're not necessarily trying to score at the basket. So you got to decide, I need a rim defender or I need a guy that can pick and pop. I need a guy that's a really good passer. Um, so I narrowed it down to two guys. I think Bill Russell, because he could defend and rebound and he's your rim protector. But I also – and the guy I went with is a guy who I think is the best passing big man of all time. And my um, five man is going to be Bill Walton, who um, – what was it? Went 20-21 from the field in the Final Four in like 1965 or something like that. Um, but he was a great, great passer. Um, would have been an all-time nba or had he not had the knee injuries. But um, I, I – you know, I may not enjoy him doing broadcasts on the Pac-12 network – uh, but I do think he was one of the all-time great players, and I'm going to have Bill Walton in my five. All right, so we did not agree on this one. Um, and Bill Walton in contention, Bill Russell in contention. Um, I think underrated as a college player, Shaquille O'Neal was absolutely dominant at LSU. But don't you remember Chris Jackson more from those teams than Shaquille O'Neal? I mean, Chris Jackson, that was Chris Jackson's team, not Shaq's team. Okay, that's fair. And I didn't pick Shaq, for the record. Uh but uh, I went with Lou Alcindor. Yeah. Another UCLA big guy. I mean, caused massive rule changes because of how dominant he was. Um, you know, won, what, three national titles. Again, couldn't play as a freshman because of the rules at the time. And, you know, there you go. 
I mean, guys, unbelievable throughout a 30 year basketball career as a, as a high school, college, NBA player. And, and, and maybe the first player that was hyped as a recruit lived up to it throughout his NBA career, not just college career. And you think about the centers. We didn't even mention Wilt Chamberlain yet, who changed the rule. They, they widened the lane because of Wilt Chamberlain. You know, I mean, Ralph Sampson, Patrick Ewing. I mean, the, the list of centers on the greatest list of all-time players is pretty astounding. Um, you know, the other honorable mention, if I, you know, you think if we're going to a bench, I certainly would have had Lou Alcindor there. But, you know, a couple of great college players that, you know, were at smaller schools. Uh, Larry Bird was sensational. Doug McDermott at Creighton. Whether you say he's a great pro or not, Doug McDermott at Creighton was sensational college player. And um, I bring this up to make the point, and um, Mark, you can speak to this too. Just because you're a great college or high school player doesn't mean you're going to be a great college player. Those don't always transition. You can be a great high school player. It doesn't mean you're great in college. Same thing, you be a great college player. It doesn't mean you're going to be a great NBA player. There's different skills that are needed. And I say that because I think some people think, oh, I'm a great high school player. I should play at Iowa. Well, maybe the level you should play at is the GPAC. You can be, a, I mean, everyone who plays in the GPAC was a great high school player. I don't know if some people understand that sometimes enough, that just because you're great in um, college doesn't mean you're going to be great in the NBA. Just because you're great in high school doesn't mean you're going to be great in college. Yep, yep, 100%. So bo bonus question here, who's coaching your team? Well, it's, you know, everybody would say wouldn't, I think, because he's the obvious choice. Um but, you know, I, the one guy that I'm really impressed with the coaching of over the years, and I say this because, you know, I, I hate him, but it would be hard not to take Mike Krzyzewski only because he has evolved over the years. He has changed. I mean, the way you watch them play in the 1980s, they're not playing that way now, and it's really hard for some coaches to make that adjustment and change over the years. And I think with this kind of team, you might need to have it. I think he's been pretty good at handling egos and whatever with the dream team, things like that. You're going to have egos on this team. So I'm going to say Mike Krzyzewski. All right, so here's the here's the reality, Jay. You or I could coach these teams we've put together, and they're gonna they're gonna be really good. So I don't know that we need like the best coach of all time. So I'm gonna pick one of my favorites, Jim Valvano. That's gonna be a high energy practice, high energy coaching staff. Um, they're gonna get some things done right there. Yeah, and they're gonna have fun doing it. So I I thought maybe you're gonna throw a Jerry Tarkanian at me. I was getting excited. That was an honorable mention, too. I love the Tark. <laughs> so, I almost said Bobby Knight, 1977. Yeah, when he was in his prime. You right. know, he could handle Michael Jordan. I mean, he coached him in the Olympics, right? So, I, the other one, I, for my team, too, I wouldn't be afraid to have Jim Beheim coach because we're going to have to play zone, right? We got, we got three bigs. My, team, my team's got to go zone, so I might go Jim Beheim with my team as well. So. Yeah, I like it. And if you want to throw a, a modern analytic flair into it, Brad Stevens. Like that. It's a good call. So I thought for sure you were going Jay Wright and you were going to leave it up to interpretation. <laughs> hey, can we go back and edit that and just say Jay Wright? <laughs> I want to I I retract that and go edit that out. <laughs> well, not much overlap there. You had Maravich and uh, Leitner. Other than that. So yeah. The Alfred Manning and Walton versus Jordan Durant and Sindor. So, last thing here, what's the uh, what's the score prediction of this game? Uh, probably like one forty-seven to one three, something <laughs> yeah. like that. Last yeah, nobody's playing offense. defense here. Last team on offense wins. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's going to be a Pepto Bismol game. That's going to be a game of runs. So I'll, I'll tell you right so. <laughs> now, if, I, if I'm coaching my team and and not. Uh, <laughs> If I'm coaching my team instead of, uh, you know, Jimmy V, I'm definitely going at Steve Alford time and time again. We're going to ISO him all day long, um, and that might be the, the difference in the game. He, he played for Bobby Knight. He's got to be able to play a little bit of defense. I mean, he's got to be able to do something. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, there it is. If, uh, if any listeners want to weigh in on these starting fives, uh, hit us up on Twitter or send us a comment through email. You can find us at BC Buckets Cast on Twitter or shoot us an email at bcbucketspodcast at gmail.com. Again, if you want to weigh in on the starting five here, if you have ideas for other starting fives, any listener questions, anything like that, make sure you get those into us. So that uh, leads me to a listener question. We already addressed one earlier, uh, but we had another one from Nate Frankman. And we've talked a lot about student managers on this podcast. Um, and we've talked about 
you know, who'd win in, in uh, one-on-one matchups or, you know, who was the most reliable, those sorts of things. But uh, he takes a little bit more of a negative uh, angle here. And he said, well, who's the worst student manager you've had? But he leaves it open for you, uh, coach, to pick any criteria. So it could be work ethic, heart's ability, uh, Yahtzee, or any other criteria of your choosing. So you don't have to completely rip into somebody here. Well, so we do a thing in our program. We have for a few years now. When we win a, a road game in the GPAC, there's always a student coach competition after that game. And the worst we've had in that competition was Jared Sikora, um, who graduated a year ago, um, not convinced that he ever actually won one. And uh, I should also say that his fellow student coach he competed against was a phenomenal athlete, so he was at a disadvantage. But I don't think Sikora ever won one. So the worst student coach we've had in post-game GPAC road win competitions, Jared Scora. And uh, thanks, a, a side note on that, um, for years and years, the visitor's locker room at Mount Marty, across all there's like this kind of old school workout room. There's some battle ropes. There's some, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Then a long jump pit. That was always our go-to. If we, if we happened to win at Mount Marty, we'd go to the long jump pit across the hall. Well, sadly, this year, they've converted that old room into a football locker room. So it's, it's gone. It was devastating. Wall sits in the locker room just weren't nearly as fun as, as watching the long jump. <laughs> Soon enough, you can probably just move it outside to the snow or something like that. That might work too. I like where your head's at, Gall. Just get creative. There's always another way. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Nate, for that question again. If you have any other questions or anything out there, make sure you get those into us. Uh, before we wrap things up here, we got to get into Coach's Life Rule. So, Coach, I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, I, I actually had one for today, and I'm going to I'm going to push it back for next week, and I'm going to I'm going to adopt a Jay Wright Life Rule as my own with Thanksgiving leftovers. Today's the cutoff. Friday after, or excuse me, you got the weekend. Sunday after Thanksgiving, you're done. Move on. Throw them out. So, I mean, you, what an impact you've made today, Coach Wright. <laughs> I'm here to change change the world. That's what we're doing, right? Change lives. That's why, why I listen to this podcast. It changed my life. So, for the better. Thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the last thing here uh, we got to get to is a shout-out. So, I'm going to give a shout-out to my cousin, Hunter Fetters. He's uh, overseas. I don't know if he's listening to this or not uh, at the moment, but – He's been overseas over in uh, Africa somewhere uh, serving in the military. So hope all's well. Hopefully we'll see him back sometime this spring. Yeah, but I'm going to give a quick shout out to uh, just to our players. Um, you know, this has been a, already a strange year for all the COVID things going on. Um, you know, we, we've had our, our, our bumps and up and downs here early in the season. And obviously Tuesday night was, was not great. Um, it wasn't all that pleasant of a postgame locker room nor was yesterday's film session. And, you know, our guys followed that up after a couple of days off with, with maybe the best practice we've had all year yesterday. I, I, I'm, you know, do I wish our record was a little better at this point? Absolutely. But at the same time, there's been a great group of guys and, and been pretty tough and resilient. So I know we're going to get this figured out. I want to give a shout out. And, you know, you guys have mentioned with all the COVID stuff, um, all the administrators at schools, teachers, athletic directors, um, they've been put in a really tough spot and everybody gets mad at them. Like, I can't believe you're making us do this and that, whatever else. And they are doing absolutely the best they can with what they have, with where they're at in the situation they're in and still providing my kids an education. Um, you know, it, where my kids go to the healing system, um, they haven't not been in school a single day. And it's all because there's all these guidelines and protocols and how you got to pick your kids up. And it's been a huge change, but it's managed to keep them in school. So shout out to all those guys doing it. I, um, that, that directors at, at athletic events, we've got to keep people out and not let them in and tell some people they can't, you know, you're, you're can't come watch your grandkid. That's a really hard thing to do. And um, they've been put in a tough spot and have taken some bullets in it, but I want to thank them for what they've done. The other shout out is the two of you for the best basketball podcast in the NAIA. Um, I really do enjoy it. I listen to podcasts a lot of times I'm working out, whatever else I, when yours comes on, I always listen to it right away because I know it's going to be fun, entertaining. Um, you know, that's what I want. So thank you for a lighthearted, fun podcast I get to listen to every week. So shout out to the two of you for the work you're doing with the podcast. Keep it. It's awesome. Appreciate that. And, and next year when you're on, I'm expecting quite a spread from Sneakies. We'll make that happen. I'm just locking in my spot for next year. I, I like that. 
Thanks, Jay, for coming on. It was great having you, as always. Good. All right, well, that's going to do it uh, here for this week. So just a quick reminder, Briarcliff will play at home uh, both Wednesday and Saturday this week, Wednesday night against Northwestern here at the Newman Flanagan Center. Women will play at 6 o'clock. The men will play at 8. Then on Saturday against Concordia, women at 2, and the men at 4 o'clock. So uh, on behalf of Coach Figuera, Coach Wright, and myself, uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Take care.